I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. <laughs> home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight, Blue Jackets and Stars are scoreless late in the first period. In the third, Carolina and Chicago tied 2-2 and the Canucks and Rangers are tied 1-1. Pelicans lead the Raptors 81-75 halfway through the third quarter. Monday night football, San Francisco leading the Giants 10-7. Eight and a half minutes left in the first half there. Some text to 630-630. This texter says, uh, Reed, the caller Al is right about Todd McClellan. He comes on the pregame last night saying the boys were well-rested and then they come out and lay an egg. Obviously, he can't motivate this team and doesn't have the room. Randy, meanwhile, says, what a joke saying that Todd McClellan is the problem. Toe Blake or Punch Imlac couldn't make this group any better. Well, of course they couldn't. They're dead. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, and I'm pleased to be joined in studio by Eskimos long snapper Ryan King. Hi, Ryan. How you doing, Reed? It's great to see you. Thanks for dropping by. Of course. Thanks for having me in studio. Appreciate you doing this. Uh, well, we talked uh, right really kind of when the CFL season ramps up. You joined me for the uh, the draft show from Commonwealth Stadium, and uh, now you're here as we're into the postseason. Unfortunately, the Eskimos uh, not participating. A lot we want to talk about, but let's just get a little bit of a, uh, a post-mortem out of the way, if you want to call it that. I mean, you go 9-9, nine and nine, uh, really 8-9 and nine in, the, in the games that were, were really important. And, uh, you know, a few slipped away in the second half. Uh, just as you look back and you're kind of digesting it a little bit, how do you sum it up? Well, it was a tough season. There's no question, um, you know, well, there's going to be a lot of uh, emotions and feelings as a player exiting uh, before playoffs even starts. Tough to watch the playoff games, you know, tough to do the locker clear out, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, tough is obviously, uh, you know, saying your goodbyes to all the guys, the coaches, you never know as it is every single year. Um, who's going to be back and what the squad's going to be. So, you know, for me, that's the most disappointing thing is is uh, knowing what kind of squad we had in that locker room. I walked around uh, when I did my, my locker clear out and, and just, you know, looking at the name tags and just kind of shaking my head and almost disappointment that, that, you know, we had so much more in that locker room and we had a playoff caliber football team and, uh, you know, did not be able to make playoffs and uh, especially Grey Cups in Edmonton, you know, and we know how passionate the uh, – Eskimo fan base in, it's, it's, it's tough. There's no question. It's, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, you know, there will be changes to the coaching staff. Uh, you know, you, you're uh, heavily involved in, in special teams, obviously. There was a, a coordinator change during the season, and then the coach that replaced that coordinator uh, obviously isn't going to be back, uh, back as well. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's the guys I spend uh, day in and day out on the road, uh, you know, multiple meetings on the field, game planning you know you spend uh, a lot of time with with your coaches and and you know for me personally Corey uh, McDermott and Dave Jackson were two guys that invested a lot into 
you know, to me personally and, and developing my games to the next level, which, which you know, I, I've called and talked to both of them and, and you know, said thanks for, for exactly that. Um, and, and it's always tough to see coaches go. You know, they put a lot into it. Um, they're passionate. They're, they're, their pride is on the line as well, too. And uh, you never, you know, like to be fired, especially uh, – in the middle of a season, and and you know, then for your your protege to to you know get the same treatment at the end of the year, it's 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 tough as well too. But um, we all sign contracts to play pro sports, and and you know that's not really um, something many dwell on too much. It's it happens every year. Um, you know, seven locker rooms later, um, coaches are back and gone and back, and players and vice versa. So yeah. you just enjoy your time you have and. Um, you know, obviously uh, we're disappointed and you just hope to, you know, everyone lands on teams and and that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I, I've often said to people, I, I, coaches don't go into work every day worrying about getting fired. They worry about trying to win the next game. I mean, they obviously know what will happen if that doesn't happen enough. But, uh, yeah, it's part of the, uh, the, the the day-to-day business of the football team for sure. Thanks a lot for dropping by. Uh, the playoffs obviously got underway yesterday. And I know, you know, you wish you would have uh, had a game or had a bye for the, for the West Final. But I know you're still obviously interested in what's going on in the CFL. Uh, 48-8 Hamilton over British Columbia. It was 10 nothing, or pardon me, it was 14 nothing. 10 minutes in. And BC had only run one play, and that was kind of how the whole game went. I mean, was that just one of those where, I mean, clearly BC's better than that, but it just spiraled out of control. Yeah, and once you get down uh, that early, especially on the road, crossover, Eastern team, you know, you got every uh, weight in the, the bag dragging you down. There's no question. Uh, you go down like that, it's tough to, to pull pull that back around and and Hamilton's a, is one of the hardest places to play you know they have a great passionate fan base um, very tough conditions always wind you know and whatever the case is they're used to playing that it's it's hard to travel um, and get over there and, and you know anytime you're on the road and, and to get a win is tough to do anyways um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, judge BC on that performance I think at that point your whole game plan changes drastically and, and you know everything's out the window at that point your playoff football and um, you're in it to win it, and that's it. So you're doing things non-conventional and probably things you didn't even practice, um, most likely. But um, you know that again is that's the crossover, and you know the East is, uh, has gotten you know much better over the last you know say five years, um, and that crossover spot's not as uh, rewarding as a, you know say it could have been or it was you know back even when we went through our Eastern uh, crossovers. So tough place to play, tough tough to see BC. Um, you know, take that, but um, you know, Hamilton's looking good. They Mazzoli's, you know, been on fire since day one, really, of season. Um, and, and they got guys coming back being healthy. They have uh, they have weapons all over that field. Defenses, you know, they talk a lot and, and, and they and they back it up too. So it's good to see uh, <laughs> it's good to see that you know, Hamilton going into play Ottawa, and it's always good to see an Eastern versus Western Grey Cup too. All right, the, the the late game, and I'm sure you watched this one with a lot of interest too, two rival teams in the division, your old head coach Chris Jones in Saskatchewan, who, uh, you know, at one point in the season, what was it, the offense had 14 touchdowns and the defense and special teams combined had, had 11. Uh, but, but it was working for them, though with Calaros out yesterday, they had Bridget quarterback and uh, they just couldn't generate the yards and, and the points. And and I thought Andrew Harris had had an exceptional game, but I mean I know players will see it from from a different standpoint. What were some of the details you saw in that Winnipeg Saskatchewan game? Well, g- great game, and I'm glad to see um, that game after the first game. Right? right. You want you want uh, <laughs> you know we're playing. It's on Sunday. It's NFL Sunday. Those guys uh, turn in the CFL game off pretty quick once uh, 
you know, the score gets uh, out of reach. So it's good to see a great football game came down to the very end. Uh, one of the coolest things for me is is definitely just the amount of guys on that both rosters I've played with, been mm-hmm. coached by. You know, there's so many friendly faces uh, when you're when that game was on, uh, and even really the West West Coast. Um, and so it was just uh, it was fun to watch those guys, you know, play ball. Andrew Harris had a great game. I thought Matty Nichols um, definitely uh, managed the game really well uh, when he when he needed to make a good player, he needed to run for a first down. He did that, and that's um, you know what he. The utility man he is, you know he'll he'll get you a win for sure. Um, defense, I think though for Winnipeg is what has progressed the most from the beginning of season. Uh, Adam Big Hill coming in there, obviously a huge uh, impact to their team, and guys rally around guys like that. You know he was all over the field yesterday, um, and at this point of the year, you want to see your defense playing um, top football, um, and I think Winnipeg definitely did. There's no question. Yeah, well. Uh, like I said, Harris was great. I think you're right. Nichols is looking sharp. I mean, what they've won their last six uh, games that were that, that meant something. I'm mean, not taking any from you guys beating yeah, them in the okay. last week weekend of the season, but obviously that didn't have an impact on where they finished. And uh, they they just seem to be able to just do. And this is just for me watching it. They just seem to be able to do enough offensively to. I'm not, I don't want to call them trick plays necessarily, but a little bit of misdirection or that they ran that flea flicker. Didn't get a big playoff. It got a first down. But even I, I noticed, I mean, they have an awesome running back. So whoever they're playing knows Harris is getting the ball. But still, they bring a receiver through the backfield a lot of times. Like, is this going to be a sweep? Is it going to be reversed? It seems they do just enough where the defense can't cheat and just say, okay, 12 guys, go hit Andrew Harris. There's just enough that they, they keep the other team off balance. For sure, and you're seeing that's the the you know the shift that football's taking uh, even in, say, the last three years. You see it down in the NFL, and you definitely see it up here is that run-pass option. It's kind of the um, the new, new wave, new age football uh, offenses. Uh, you need more stuff going on. Uh, um, you know, defenses are getting good enough to stop almost traditional stuff that you need to add something to it. Uh, misdirections is always big. And when you look at the two coaches uh, last night in the second game, O'Shea, Coach Jones, the two, you know, uh, historically most trickery, trick right. play, uh, special teams wins um, kind of style uh, coaches. So when you look at um, that game yesterday in, in regards to the flea flicker and these kind of things, like to me, that's almost back to O'Shea's kind of special teams mindset of his coaching career because he used to do tons of stuff like that. I remember it being, you know, definitely was always the hardest playing Winnipeg because he would, you know, he crossed all of his uh, T's, dotted all of his I's, and, uh, you know, you're going to have, you're going to keep your head on a swivel when you're playing against O'Shea. So it's I think, like it's like he's almost distracting you from the, the simple things that they do or the basic plays they run because you're always worried in the back of your mind. Oh wait, is this the formation where something crazy is going to happen? And then if and then if they don't do it, a very a very basic play could work. Well, that's that run pass option, right? right. And uh, ROP, it's uh, it's just uh, that that's just yeah. You hear you hear that all over the place now. It's uh, you got to be able to run and you got to be able to pass on any down. That's just how fast, especially in the Canadian game, quick time clock. Got to get the ball. Got to get going. You know, you're you're almost wasting a play calling in a run. You know, you got to have a pass option. If it's open, hit it. If not, run the ball. You know, and and stuff like that. So you're seeing a shift in how OCs call games. There's no question. Ryan King is in studio from your Edmonton Eskimo. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So I'm going to uh, ask him about headshots and video replay when we get back. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Eskimos long snapper Ryan King is in studio. Always great to catch up with Ryan. Of course, the CFL Division Finals on Sunday will have Ottawa home to Hamilton and Winnipeg will go to Calgary and uh, Ryan, we're talking about the the Winnipeg Saskatchewan game. So uh, Jeff Coat for Winnipeg uh, delivers the headshot on Bridge with eight seconds left. Bridge has to come out of the game. It was not penalized. Saskatchewan had used their challenge. Um, there's no video review that can just jump in and call that. I know Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL, made a statement saying, "I don't just want to apologize for this and recognize it was a bad call. I want to fix it." Uh, for next year. Now, your quarterback and others too, but I mean, the last two or three years, Mike's been drilled pretty hard a couple times that that wasn't called. And, and I know uh, you guys were frustrated about that. Um, is this a play that needs to be policed better, punished harsher? How do you how do you look at it? Well, I think the first thing you got to look at this is obviously both sides, um, the league, PA, everyone, player safety is number one priority. Um, so when you when you see all this stuff happen, you see all the decisions made, when you see all the talk of what ifs, it all comes down to player safety. So obviously, you know, you want to see that call being made on the field, um, as we all saw and as uh, commissioner came out and said it was a headshot. But, this, you know, we are playing you know, the game of football. Um, and, and we saw the refs cam, which I thought was very interesting how um, Randy Ambrosi commented on that right away. Because it was true. You know, I went back even and, and rewinded on my PVR. And, you know, those guys are big guys out there. Offensive linemen, you know, if you get stuck behind something like that, then, you know, absolutely you could miss a call. So I think that at least goes to show um, what the league is working with to make change. So, you know, you obviously see a ref cam. You're seeing what he's seeing. You didn't see it. So you mm-hmm. didn't call it. So he made the right call in the field, but it was the wrong call. He missed a call. So they're human. Um, we, we expect them to be perfect always um and they won't and that's just the reality of it you can look at uh, quarterbacks across the league you know there's missed calls all over the place but when it comes down to player safety it comes down to um you know concussions and and headshots that's the number one priority the league has it's the number one priority the the pa has is to you know eliminate those from the game and and it's going to be a lot of pressure on him come the offseason to do that. You know, like there's a texter who always writes into the show. He goes by the handle Oil10, big Eskimos and Oilers fan, obviously. And he thinks Jeff Coach should be suspended for, for the West for the West final. Um, you know, it's a, it's a 15-yard penalty for roughing the passer, and perhaps not all roughing calls are created equal, but the penalty would be 15 yards. You know, as a player, if you think, okay, no, this is actually a 25-yard penalty or, or a game ejection or a suspension if I do something like that, does that figure into how you play or in the heat of the moment is it hard to control those split-second hits and decisions? You know, it's, it, it's per hit, per play, uh, per decision basis. So, you know, any, everyone's going to have an opinion on that. There's no question. Uh, you know, I could maybe 
give you my opinion, but it's as well an opinion. Um, mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the heat of the game, in the moment, um, you know, you still have the ability to make a decision at the last second. And my whole linebacker career, my whole time with the Eskimos, you know, there's multiple times you decide not to do things you probably shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Now, it's tough because as a defensive end, defensive lineman, you don't always know if it's a draw, if it's a screen, if he even has the ball, if, you know, he's going to roll out of that. So you play to the whistle. The whistle wasn't gone yet. So, you know, the tough thing is, is a lot of these quarterbacks get hit. These DNs are coming off of a spin. They're coming off of getting double teamed. They don't even know. They don't even. They don't even see the quarterback through these old linemen. But all of a sudden, boom, they're through, and they, and you know things happen very fast. So when I when I look at hits, I look at it from a momentum perspective. If your momentum took you into it, you know I'll potentially most likely give you the benefit of the doubt. But there's a lot of hits we've seen, you know, NFL and CFL where they're fairly deliberate, and those are ones that I'm saying from a linebacker and and someone that's you know running full speed out there. You you do and you can make decisions last second. There's no question. All right, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle this. And, and as as Randy, and now we know there is obviously video review. Ambrosi limited that midseason last year. He's and and you know what? It was a game you were in. You guys had a really good back and forth game against BC, and there was good flow. I think you, I can't remember what you guys won by, but it was you know good offensive plays, good battle both ways. And then I think there were three or four replay challenges late in the third and early in the fourth, and it just ground the game to a halt. And then Ambrosi comes out and says, okay, one challenge per team per game. That's it. Um, as, as, as a player, do you want potentially to think, okay, we've won a play, we've won this sequence, and then the ref saying, hold on, I'm getting a buzz from the command center, and we're going we're gonna to look at the play. Like, I know as a player you want the right call, but... <laughs> But do you want the game, you know, interrupted like that? Do you want things being being slowed down and 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 picked apart to that level? Well, I think uh, yes, you want the right call made. You know, we get paid to make plays. You know, coaches get fired on when losing games. Everything happens around every play. You want the calls to be made. There's no question. Now, is this a, a, a uh, an issue? Whose issue is this? Right? How are they going to fix this? Well, I think. The investment you have, the grassroots you have of refereeing in Canada, I think needs to be definitely assessed. And if there's more support needed, money needed, funding, whatever it is to, to develop the referees more. Like the NFL, it's full-time jobs, full-time careers. They're getting paid to study film and never miss the call. Up here, you know, that's not the case. So. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, people that have other professions that love the game of football, that are trying the best they can, do the best they can. They know they're missing calls. They're taking tons of heat, like, but they love what they do. They're still doing it. So is it is it them making the wrong calls or them not being educated, taught enough, you know, hey, this is the angle you need to look at in the pocket, you know, try this depth, you know. These are things I don't think the extent we get to. So it's easy to always point the finger at the ref when they make the wrong call. But I also do think that, give them at least a little bit of benefit of the doubt and saying these guys literally are not full-time referees they you know flew from his family's house that has a job and you know now right. he's here because he loves and he wants to do the best he can so i think the development side needs to be addressed first of all you can review it you can flag it you can add all these things and as you just said it just slows the game down and so i think that's you know to me personally we've already tried a lot of things and if you want to you know maybe we need to step back support them maybe a little more it's a weird coming from me but um 
you know, and just try to get it better because it is an issue and has always been an issue. And, you know, you just hope to see that we can find a way to fix it. It's a good perspective. Uh, Ryan, thanks for dropping by. You are going to get a gift certificate to Northern Chicken, bringing down home Southern comfort food to Edmonton and other tasty treats. Salivate over the menu at northchickenyeg.com. I'll leave you with this. Are, are you already actively lobbying Mike Riley to stick around? or? <laughs> you know, me personally, you know, Mike's a great guy. And, and whatever he, he does is he's going to have, obviously, the support of at least his teammates and everyone that's ever played by him because he's a leader. And, you know, obviously you want him on your team. And, you know, to me personally, I, I don't think um, Coach Moss is going to let the team break up. And I could, uh, and I've been saying this from day one, I think we're very much more in a reload phase than we are in a rebuild. So um, that word is being used a lot, and, and I think that should excite Eskimo fans and uh, to know that uh, you know we're going to reload the, the ship and, and get back out there. Ryan, I really appreciate you coming in. You're always a pleasure to talk to. I appreciate your perspective, and I will probably see you around the uh, Great Cup festival be site because I'm doing a couple shows from there that week. So you'll we have to come by the 630 Chet Information Center. Sounds good. I'll be there. That is Ryan King, Inside Sports on Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Cool little Guns and Roses from Terminator 2. Great movie. Yeah, that's a strong film. No doubt about it. Monday Night Football, 13-10, 49ers lead the Giants, time running out in the first half. Raptors might lose a home game for the first time this season, down 108-97 to the Pelicans with six and a half minutes left. NHL tonight, second period, no score, Blue Jackets and Stars. In overtime, Chicago and Carolina tied 2-2, and the Rangers... Seconds away, oh, I think it just ended. Rangers uh, 2, Canucks 1. That is a final. Predators and Ducks coming up at 8 o'clock. Kellen, we got to do this. Great to have uh, Ryan King in studio. Absolutely. Always uh, good to talk to. Very well-spoken young man. We have to recap our uh, predictions. Oh, this will be good. This is going to be fun. So the East semifinal... Uh, I predicted Hamilton. I was way off on the score. I said yeah. Hamilton 27, BC 24. Mm-hmm. You said BC would win 30-10. Yep. Got that All one right. wrong. So I get that one for the winner. We're way off on the score differential. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, <laughs> the, the West semifinal, uh, I was wrong. I had I, Actually, my score is pretty close. I said mm. 22-17 Saskatchewan. Okay. Of course, Winnipeg won 23-18, but it doesn't matter. I got the wrong team. You you picked the wrong game to be a, a 39-40 to 40 point differential. Yeah, the blowout you, happened. But. You had Winnipeg winning 41-2. Mm-hmm. And at this point, when you made the pick, you didn't even know that uh, for sure Bridge was going to play. That's right. We didn't know until late, what, well, Saturday night? Somehow you was? knew, though. Some Your woman's intuition told you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we both go one and one in terms of uh, our CFL playoff predictions. Nobody really got close with the score. You did, you did have Winnipeg winning by 39. Instead, it was Hamilton winning by 40. <laughs> That's incredible. 
We will have to do, are you working all week? I am here all week, so we can revisit this on uh, Friday we, and uh, figure it out. We will have to do more predictions for sure <laughs> for for the division finals. I just love that when you were like, Winnipeg 41. And I was like, okay, he's going to say Saskatchewan like 35 or 31. Saskatchewan 2. <laughs> Some of us don't like the riders, Reed. That's... Well, some of us. But I think <laughs> most of us, isn't it? <laughs> Don't troll Ryder fans. No, They're very no. sad today. My buddy uh, said he's in mourning today. Very upset about what happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. 7.38, you can text 6.36.30. The phone number is 780-496-0063. The Oilers will play the Canadians tomorrow. Of course, we'll have it for you on 6.30. Ched. You know, Milan Lucic was saying today it, it just seemed that once Christmas hit and the calendar turned to 2018, he stopped scoring. The Oilers hosted the Canadians on December 13th. Milan Lucic scored. The Oilers won the game to get to 500. Uh, Milan Lucic has two goals in 63 games since then. So the 2018 calendar year has not been kind to Lucci. Cheers a little bit from Todd McClellan. You know, we're talking about Milan scoring, and obviously he wants to score, and we need him to. Um, but what I can tell you about Luch this year compared to last year is that he's worked as hard as anybody on our team. Not that he didn't work hard last year. He practices as hard as anybody does. Um, he's working on his game. He's got a bit of frustration in there right now. You saw it today in practice, but I would tend to uh, venture that that didn't come from... Uh, uh, lack of scoring that probably came from a shot off the kneecap on the power play, which nobody's happy with. Um, you know, so so he has worked, he's improved his play, he's become more physical, he's policed, he's done a lot of the things we've asked him to. He just hasn't been able to be as productive offensively as he would like and, and everybody else would like. Um, but as long as he keeps doing those other things and, and contributing, eventually it will go. Made a nice play on the goal last night. Um, a nice uh, slide pass to the D-man, created space for him. Um, so it's there and it'll come. And we continue to wait. I don't know who's going to do it, guys and gals, if the Oilers are, are going to be a decent team. And, and I just don't think they have enough to be an excellent team. But if they're going to be a decent team, two or three players are going to have to score with some consistency. From the depth, I'm not talking about, and I know Nugent Hopkins, you know, only has three goals, which is still one of the better results on the team. Uh, I know he only has three goals, but I mean, he's getting points and he's involved and he's playing good at both ends of the rink. Dreisaitl and and McDavid are doing their thing. They're probably going to be line mates tomorrow. Somebody else is going to have to score at least semi-regularly. Or we're going to see a, a lot of games where even if they check better and defend better, where they're losing, you know, 2-1 or 3-2 because no one else can score. And I still think, you know, Lucic and hopefully Strom are two of the better candidates to do that. I know Peter Shirelli believes Yamamoto and Puliyarvi are going to be able to do that. Okay, that's great. I hope so. They're not on the team right now. And whenever they do get called up again... I don't know if, if it's fair just to thrust them into that role and say, okay, you guys are the secondary scorers, go do it. But I, I still look at, at Lucic and Strom. That's why they were brought here. And remember when they were each brought here in their own respective times, it was hoped that they would be able to play alongside Connor McDavid. All right, didn't happen. So they got to do more on their own. And, and I, I realize what Lucic does, and I, I respect it, and we talked about it last week. Many of you were impressed by what he did with Tampa Bay and said, good for him, take the fine, that's fine. 
um, but you you got to put the puck in the net. And basically right now, the Oilers' third and fourth lines both have the offensive production of a fourth line. And, and that's a pretty big gap in uh, in production, and that's hurting the Oilers. Uh, Connor McDavid had some very interesting comments on Lucic and his slump. It doesn't matter if he scores at all. Um, you know, he's a guy that brings so much to the team, so much in the room. Um, you know, when he's playing hard and he's playing mean like he has been, you know, he opens up so much ice. Um, you know, he's been a guy that, that's been a leader um, in this room since he's gotten here. And um, if he scores, great. If not, whatever. He still brings so much to the table that I mean, he almost doesn't even need to. All right. Well, I think McDavid's saying the right things and, and trying to take some of the heat off the big man. Uh, Lucic spoke extensively today as well, and he says he's tried everything, washed his gloves, different gloves, laces, sticks, different grips, all that kind of stuff. And then he did say, maybe I'm just waiting for 2018 to end because uh, it has been a dark year for him offensively. Oilers and Canadians coming up tomorrow on 6.30. Chad, the face-off show will be at 5.30. The puck will drop at 7. The Edmonton Oil Kings are doing great lately. 7-0-1 in their last eight. They are in Lethbridge with a 2-1 lead after 20 minutes. Brett Kemp, who had the overtime winner in Medicine Hat a couple of days ago, and Liam Keeler have the goals for the Oil Kings. It is 7.43. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. And uh, we're going to do something a little different. We will remember Stanley when we get back. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. News coming up at 8. Uh, we'll have the latest on uh, what happened at City Center Mall with the fire in the uh, Shoppers Drug Mart this afternoon. We will have the Oilers game for you tomorrow against the Montreal Canadiens. Then the Oilers don't play again until Saturday. They're going to be at Calgary and then home to Vegas on Sunday, finally playing some games in the Pacific Division. A couple uh, texts here to uh, 6.30. 6.30, DM says, Reed, it's time for a sea change. Let players be drafted by the best teams, not the worst. Stars like McDavid languish in the doldrums. Reward excellence from start to finish. Jay says, wouldn't that be something if it has become a 2018 curse for Lucic? Almost a self-fulfilled prophecy. Maybe he will turn over a new leaf in 2019 solely because that's his belief system right now. That is from uh, Jay Bueller to 6.30, 6.30. Hey, you know what? I opened the the show talking a little bit about Stan Lee, uh, comic books, uh, certainly a big part of my childhood, and they remain something that I'm interested in to this day, and, and superheroes and, and that whole world, and Stan Lee, uh, you know, synonymous with that. I think if most people had to pick one name that they know from creating comics, he would probably be the guy. For his perspective from Happy Harbor Comics downtown, right across from McEwen, it's Jay Bardilla. Jay, thanks for checking in tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. I, I appreciate you making time to do this and, and come on a sports show, but uh, it's it's in my area of interest. And Stan Lee is is a name I've known 
uh, since I was a little kid. So uh, sad to uh, say farewell uh, to him today. But, uh, I mean, as, as someone who's in this industry, Jay, maybe a tough question, but how, how do you even measure his impact on the comic book world? Well, I don't even think that you can. I yeah. mean, if we were to try to take every story that Stan had a finger in as far as, like, writing or editing or whatever, like, I don't think people could imagine someone creating that much entertainment just for the masses and turning it out as often as they did. Because you got to remember back in the day, um, you know, like Stan Lee would be, he'd be writing multiple titles, he'd be working with multiple artists and putting out, you know, nearly dozens of comic books per month in one form or another, whatever his role was. Uh, and he did that for years and years and years. And eventually, you know, in, in his job too, also got him finding other creators, other artists, other writers to bring in and create new materials and, and come up with new stories. Uh, and he was even, you know, he was doing it for, for decades. He was coming up with new stuff. Uh, so I don't, I don't think we could even, you know, begin to kind of wrap our heads around how much he's given, not just the industry, but the world as a whole. Cause, I mean, there's not too many places that you go now where people don't recognize, you know, um, a Thor, an Iron Man, or especially Spider-Man, like, world over, like, he's an icon. He's a, he's interesting, too. And look, of, of course, people are going to point out, well, you know, don't forget about some of the people who worked with him. Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko came to mind as great artists who were co-creators for a lot of these characters. But I, I think what made Stan stand out was his energy, and he, and he really was one of those guys who, who knew it was a business, but also knew that if you don't get people to pay attention, uh, you're not going to stay in business. He, he was very good with his, uh, his energy and his promotion, I always thought. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, you know, so much so that DC made a, a parody character within their universe based on Stanley. <laughs> you know, the ultimate, uh, you know, the funky Flashman, the ultimate, uh, the ultimate used car salesman there, always, always on and always selling and, and whatnot. But uh, Stan was really able to you know, find great talent and inspire them to come up with great things on their own. So that allowed him the freedom to go and work with so many people and motivate them. So I think Stan was probably, you know, the greatest muse or motivator uh, almost in the history of any art form, whether you want to pick music or film or whatever. Um, but then on top of that, like you said, like his, he, he was the face of comic books uh, down the road. You know, when he got out of the the business hands-on and it was just in the public he was still being paid like up until his passing he was still being paid yearly by marvel comics to just be the face of marvel comics and they were still still cutting him a check every year so i mean and and people knew him when i go to schools and and we're doing book fairs and we're talking to kids about how to make comics and there's like you know you know has anybody here heard of stan lee like every kid's heard of stan lee whether they're grade three grade five grade nine whatever like they know because they, his name was branded to everything Marvel did, and, and people just uh, connect with him as like this guy who created wonder and and awesomeness. Um, and it's going to be we're never going to be able to replace that person, and we're never going to see another one again. He's you know he's the Gretzky, right? Yeah. <laughs> you get you get it once, and you'll just you'll never replicate that quite the same way ever again. That's a great way to put it for sure. Jay Bardilla joining us from Happy Harbor Comics. Stan Lee passing away today at the age of 95. I, I made a little list today, Stan, 
or uh, geez, Stan, uh, Jay. Um, <laughs> so it's so on your mind. I know. Everyone's Stan to you right now. <laughs> uh, I, I, I wrote down these words, frail, shy, guilt-ridden, rejected, strong, sarcastic, confident, and idolized. Those are all some of the characteristics of my favorite fictional character. The same person, depending what guys he's in, Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And it was really that duality of a lot of Stan's characters that I think is why they connected with so many readers. Oh, absolutely. He always made sure that the first and foremost was the humanity of the characters and and not just being just human, but humans with flaws and humans with problems and and ways that people could identify. So it wasn't a matter of just idol worship. It wasn't a matter of, of seeing someone who was uh, you know, doing good for the sake of doing good and idolizing that person and wanting to be that person, but it was a matter of seeing that person on the page and being able to identify and connect with that person right away. So it's like, I am uh, Peter Parker, or you know, I have the same kind of ideas as a, as a uh, you know, as a uh, a banner. I want to be, you know, a doctor, and I want to get into this thing. And but sometimes I get so angry I can't control myself. And there's all these sorts of things that people could really kind of latch onto. Or I have a family, you know, and in my family it's me and my parents and my dad's best friend, and we do these adventures and camping trips. And you know, all of a sudden you've got yourself a Fantastic Four. So there were so many ways that he could take. You know, just who we are and just go, okay, and what happened if this happened to you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so you really had a gift for it, that's for sure. Jay, thanks for uh, sharing some of your take on this. Uh, of course, people can visit you at Happy Harbor. You're on 104th Ave, uh, what is it, 107th Street, right across from McEwen? Yep, absolutely, that's correct. Not far from Roger's Place, if people want to stop in before a game some night. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, we do that. We get a lot of people pop in sometimes just before a game, check it out. Right on, it's a great story. Jay, thanks for your perspective on Stanley. really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Jay Berdella checking in from Happy Harbor Comics. And how about this? Uh, one texture says, Stan's heroes existed in real cities, not made-up places. Absolutely, that connected with a lot of people. And we're going to close off with this text from Tim, who very adeptly ties together the Oilers' season with the late, great Stan Lee. Tim says, while talent, skill, and ability is important on a team, what is missing with the Oilers is chemistry. Comparing the Oilers of the past... Slats had the ability to create and foster chemistry. I do not see or feel this with the current leadership from the GM of the coach. Just like you are discussing Stan Lee, he created chemistry. I'm going to go home and read some comic books. I don't know what you're going to do tonight, but that's my priority. Kellen, great show, buddy. Awesome. Let's close it off with a little Guardians Inferno from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Nice. Kellen Kennedy's our studio producer. Giants up 13-10 on the, uh, or pardon me, Niners up 13-10 on the Giants now into the third quarter. Oilers, Canadians tomorrow, 5.30 face-off show. Play-by-play starts at 7. And don't forget, Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to 2 tomorrow. Thanks to our guests, besides from uh, Jay Bardilla, Ryan King was in studio, and Canadians play-by-play voice Dan Robertson. Really appreciate everybody who called and texted as well. Dave Campbell is the producer of the show. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great evening. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.